Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We sit here, Catherine Whitaker and myself, David Law, and it is almost nine o'clock on Sunday night at the Aegon Championships on finals day. About an hour, Catherine, after the final ball was hit. And what a week it's been. The most extraordinary week. We've had Andy Murray and Amelie Moresmo in town. We've had Grigor Dimitrov, the man we can now finally call our own and be proud to mention his name after all those months of wondering whether he was ever going to do what we said he would do. And he's won the title. 7-6 in the third set against Feliciano Lopez, having saved match point. And then we've had Rally for Bali, raising money for Elena Maltach's memory and her academy of tennis. And we've had her, the kids on the court that have learnt tennis from her. We've had Victoria Azarenka showing what a star she is, what a great character she is, making everybody laugh and showing a totally different side to herself. It has been, I think the best week of my tennis career in terms of covering the sport. I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I, I've not had a better one. I've just had so much fun. What do you think? Oh, I'm delighted to hear you say that. Yeah, I've had a cracking week. And uh, I think the, um, the burning question is how much credit can we take for Grigor Dimitrov's success? Well, I did have a quick word with him earlier. And uh, there was a moment where we thought, should we try and get Grigor on the show tonight? Well, the problem was uh, the ball girls had a photo shoot, an impromptu photo shoot on the court with him. Uh, and that was on his way out the door. And frankly, the tennis podcast was probably down the list. And we decided we, we didn't have time to put in the request, didn't we, Catherine? That was at Griggle's request, that photo shoot. He got to the locker room after the match and uh, we got the, AT the ATP came over the radio saying, Griggle would like to do a photo shoot with the ball girls, please. It's not often after a match, whether someone's won or lost, that you get a player requesting to do extra post-match activities. Um, I've never heard of it before. No. I've never heard. I mean, when, when that came over the walkie-talkie, I was on the court trying to look after the, the players in the rally for Bali and then... A voice came over the, the radio saying, Grigor Dimitrov would like to come on the court after this match so that he can have a photo taken with the ball girls. And I, I, I was just in shock. I didn't quite know how to answer that. But, of course, we did it. And he loved it. I think the ball girls loved it as well. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah. I mean, he made everybody's day today, didn't he? Apart from Feliciano Lopez supporters and Feliciano Lopez himself. 
But yeah, he, he was fantastic in post-match press. All the press were delighted with what he was saying, delighted the ball girls. He went to visit everybody in the hospitality suites afterwards. He's just put smiles on everyone's faces here, in, obviously including ours. He's almost too good to be true, isn't he? In a way, when you think about it, in terms of how nice a bloke he is, because he is, he's a nice fella. And the tennis he plays, I mean, he was under the gun from that Lopez serve, who incidentally played absolutely fantastically all week and would have been a worthy champion in his own right tonight. And yet he got just enough serves back. He, he didn't flinch Dimitrov when he was match point down. And ultimately, he's a worthy champion here. And to see him then go over to Chris Commode, the former tournament director of, of this event, and who's now the ATP's chairman and president, and go over to him and present his racket to him for the reason that Chris, five or six years ago, had given him not one but two successive wild cards in, in successive years, taking a lot of stick in the process for doing so because, frankly, Grigor was underachieving, really, given his talent. That was a lovely touch from Dimitrov. He didn't need to do that. And that sums him up, I'd say. Yeah, to, to recognise the, um, the faith that was shown in him by, uh, by Chris Commode here, and by us, obviously. We, we've stuck by him through the years. Um, we didn't get a racket, but, you know, maybe he'd run, he, I think he'd run out. He'd given a few away to ball girls, but, you know, oh, I'm not precious about it, Catherine. I'll get, I'll get over it. Goodness knows how many he had in his bag. He, had, he definitely had two spare. Right, Grigor, where's that racket? I want that racket. He might need one or two for Wimbledon. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's just, there's something a little bit sort of, I mean, I, I know we're not the first people to say this, but he does have that sort of, not just on the court, the obvious comparisons, but that ethereal Roger Federer-esque classiness and quality to everything he does on and off the court, which not many people have. I mean, yes, he also happens to have unbelievable talent. And I'll tell you what, I don't think uh, Grigor Dimitrov of two years ago and possibly not of one year ago would have won that match today. Oh, no, no question. Not a question in my mind about that. And the other, th- the other comparison, I know, again, we will make the comparisons to Federer, but they're all valid. That's why you make them. There was a point in Roger Federer's development where he realized, I can't just be a nice guy. Uh, and he was giving interview requests. He was granting interview requests to everybody. didn't matter how many he had. He was wearing himself out. He was emotionally drained when he went on the court. And he realized he had to become more of a professional and stop doing quite so many things for people. And he did that. He, he toughened himself up. When he did interviews, he still did them brilliantly. He, he was still brilliant with sponsors and with kids and autograph hunters. But he made sure he did it in an august, organized way so that it didn't affect his tennis. And for the first time, here in five years, Grigor Dimitrov has started to do the same thing. And that, I know that because he's dealt with, with us in the media team here and he's been a joy to work with, but he's been professional. And it's not, a di- it's not an easy thing to do that, it, it, to, 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 to be that professional, but also to, m- also to still maintain the wonderful attitude he has towards sort of extracurricular activities off the court. Because there are plenty of players, plenty of perfectly decent, nice players, who, in order to have that professional attitude, sort of just go into lockdown on press and extra stuff and say, you know, they'll do what's required of them and they'll do it fine, but, it, you know, it's a requirement and that's all it is. Dimitrov does it all 110% what's required of him, does it with a smile on his face, gives everybody what they need and probably a bit more 
he's just balancing that with with the main get, with the main goal, which is well, from what he was saying today, winning Wimbledon this year. I think it it sounds ridiculous, but it, well, it doesn't anymore. Does it sound that ridiculous anymore? I, I'm, no, I'm and look, sure I am I am not going to start predicting Grigor Dimitrov is going to win Wimbledon. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm fighting myself from doing that. But he's capable. There is no doubt in my mind he's capable. He, and he thinks he's this capable. This year. This year? Oh, he's going to win Wimbledon one day. That, that's, that's happening. It's, <laughs> uh, it's just whether or not it's this year that, that's a question. Um, I, we, we, for some reason, we decided to make our Wimbledon predictions three weeks ago. We are allowed to update them. We can do that again in a week's time, one day before the tournament okay. starts. Where are you standing right now? I, well, oh, crikey. Well, Federer won in Halle today, didn't he? And I believe three weeks ago I picked Federer. So I've got no reason not to stick with that for the time being. So I'll stick with Federer. But I reserve the right to change my mind in a week's time. Okay. Well, I went with Murray, didn't I? And a nice way of segueing into Murray will be that, I suspect. But actually, no, before we talk about Andy Murray, let's just have a little chat about the rally for Bali. Because, I mean, it was a wonderful occasion in terms of the solidarity shown throughout tennis, particularly in Great Britain, in that three events all held this event and staged their own Rally for Bali fundraisers in Birmingham, in Eastbourne and here as well at the Queen's Club and today on the centre court here there was Andy Murray, Jamie Murray, there was Heather Watson Victoria Azarenka and Martina Hingis and it was, it was, it was a fabulous sight to see those players come together have fun and raise a lot of money, you know, tens of thousands of pounds that will go to the Royal Marsden Cancer Charity and the Elena Baltacci Academy of Tennis. And they even had some of the little kids on the court that were a part of the academy and they were playing on the Queen's Club. What a wonderful sight that was. And Elena's family were in attendance. Obviously a very emotional thing for them. And, and you know, there's nothing that can bring her back. But what we all can do is contribute to the academy and, uh, and to help to keep it going. And... Just as a, a, a side note, Victoria Azarenka was just a revelation out there. I mean, I've always interviewed her and thought, she seems quite nice, actually. She looks you in the eye. She gives you proper answers. But it's always been very difficult to like her. Well, I like her a lot now. I've seen her up close today. She, she brought the house down. She was the ringmaster. She was making everybody laugh. And whatever preconceptions people went into that match today with, they would have come out thinking, you know what, Victoria Azarenka's a good egg, and I like her. Yeah, I'm really pleased to hear you say because she does get a tough rap, really. And she, and she, you know, for a world number one and Grand Slam champion, her press conferences are often not particularly well attended, for example. Um, and uh, I've got a lot of, you know, just because somebody isn't all singing, all dancing, heart on the sleeve, personality on the sleeve, doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that they're a reserved person and I think in her case, an exceptionally professional person. I mean, she just, she has to get in the zone, doesn't she? I mean, even before the rally for Bali, which was about as, um, as uh, well, not unprofessional, but it was it was pretty... It was on the lighter side of, of tennis, as seriousness goes. She had to get in the zone for it. She was listening to her music. She was focused, you know. Obviously, a completely different level to what she would be before a, a tour match or a Grand Slam final. But that's obviously something that she needs to do in order to have success on the court. And that's everyone's priorities. Everyone is different. That doesn't mean that personality isn't there. It just isn't 
on show all the time and how fantastic that it was sort of a mutually beneficial thing that she was able to use an event like this to to show that side of herself and it was absolutely to the benefit of the event because by all accounts I, I was busy running around behind the scenes so I didn't see it all but by all accounts she was very much the star of the show she really was and if you don't believe me just go and have a look at the British tennis website um, lta.org.uk and look at the YouTube side of British Tennis LTA and just watch the highlights when when they come up later on because she was fantastic really take my word for it now uh, Andy Murray just before we leave we're going to hear from him in a minute Catherine the interview I did with him earlier this week for the BBC and uh, Andy was speaking about Amelie Moresmo, his new coach, who he announced last Sunday, and, and it was fascinating to, to be one of the first to, to, to speak to him about that. What was your immediate reaction upon hearing that news, that he was to work with Amelie Moresmo? Well, rumours had circulated in Paris. I think it was actually Mike Dixon, the Daily Mail's tennis correspondent, that, uh, that broke the rumours. Um, but people didn't believe them, frankly, because I, I, I think people, for whatever reason found that to be a, uh, a, an extremely surprising and unbelievable move. For me, for me quite frankly, you know, to, uh, my reaction was, well, if, you know, if it was a, two-time, a men's two-time former Grand Slam champion and world number one, you wouldn't be raising the same eyebrows. But that's perhaps a separate debate we should have on another occasion. For me, the most interesting... Um, aspect of the announcement was actually what he said to you in in the interview we're going to hear shortly uh, with the BBC which was that he proactively and very deliberately sought a female coach he said that he he said he consulted with Darren Cahill and said I'm thinking of hiring a female coach can you can you point me in the right direction which for me is fascinating because he'd gone to great lengths in in his press before he announced who his coach was to be uh, and and to make clear that to him gender was irrelevant and of course gender ought to be irrelevant but the fact is it's not yet irrelevant one day it will be uh but but the facts of the situation are it is very much relevant but he had made the point why is it relevant because there are no top level female coaches frankly and and because and because of the enormous imbalance that most women are coached by men. I think that, that's something that's been being ignored in a lot of the analysis, saying that you know, people are making what could be considered quite valid arguments as to why you know, women don't have the understanding of, of the men's game necessary. I know Tim Mayotte's come out and said, said that words to that effect in the Sunday Times. However, the same arguments have never been made for men coaching women. So... But I think that's probably a debate for, the, for another day. For me, the, as I say, the most incredible and heartening thing about Andy's announcement is that he has put on the record that he actively sought a female coach. And for me, that is just one enormous leap forward for sport, for tennis, for women. For I mean, I'd, I'd, I hope it doesn't sound patronising, but I feel enormously proud of him. I'm just, it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. And, and that's sort of irrelevant of whether the partnership works out. It very well might not. Coaching partnerships are a bit of a lottery. It might not work out, but I don't, I hope very dearly that if it doesn't work out, that isn't put down to, to the genders of the people involved. Well, very well said, I'd say. And before we go, and we'll talk about whether we think the actual dynamics of the coaching partnership will be successful in the next tennis podcast, let's hear from Andy Murray.
Well, Andy, welcome back to the Queen's Club, uh, site of three titles here, including last year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always a nice place for me to, to come back. I've had some, some great memories from here. Uh, it's always worked as you know, perfect preparation for, for Wimbledon. And you know, I've, had, uh, well, I've actually played some of my best tennis here. It's been one of my most consistent tournaments uh, throughout my career. And it's also the uh, place where I won my first ATP match. So I've got good memories from the tournament. And we've been waiting for a while to find out who your coaching choice would be after you parted ways with Ivan Lendl. We now know it is Amelie Moresmo. Tell us how that came about. last couple of times I've looked at coaches, uh, I've spoken to, to Darren Cahill um, quite a lot. And I mentioned uh, to him that you know, I was thinking about you know, possibly a female coach. Um, and you know, I didn't know a lot of the females that were playing around uh, you know last sort of 10 years or so I didn't know them unbelievably well you know I know Kleisters and Hennen uh, obviously Moresmo a bit and so I just spoke to him um, a little bit about about those those players um, he thought that Amelie would be a good fit uh, we also came up with a, a few other names um, as well and then yeah, after I spoke to her, um, yeah, I just had had a good feeling about it. I mean, for me, it doesn't it doesn't feel so different because I obviously when I was growing up, I had my mum working with me until you know sort of 17 years old. So you know, I've always had quite a strong sort of female influence in in my uh, in my career, um, and I've found that you know with my mum especially that she listened um, extremely well, um, and that was something that I felt. You know, right now that, that I needed. You know, I've started to, to listen to my my body um, a lot more because over the years you start to pick up some things, and I think it's important that the, the people that you work with respect that and understand and listen to, you know, to how you're feeling um, as well. Because it can't just be pushed, you know, extremely hard every single day. You know, I need to pick my moments during the year where you know I really go for it in training, and um, yeah, that was that was one of the the reasons, but. Yeah, for me, it didn't it didn't feel like uh, you know a, a strange thing to do just because you know I grew up with uh, with a female coach. What has the reaction been like at Queens? Have, have you spoken to other players at all? Uh, yeah, well, a couple of people have come up to me and sort of asked because obviously over the last few weeks there's been a lot of different uh, you know a lot of different names. So people didn't know if it was true, if it was you know a joke, if it was serious. So people were just sort of coming and asking me, you know, if it was if it was true or not and then yeah I, I told them uh, it was but yeah I mean from the, from other players point of view I don't really care uh, whether they think it's a good appointment or a bad appointment it's whether it works well uh, for me and, and my team and um, hopefully it'll be a, a good move in my career and she's obviously been a Wimbledon champion what do you hope that she will bring over this next few weeks there's a lot of things that she can bring I, I wouldn't have thought that it would be incredibly full on um, because they like say we'll just still be getting to know each other. She obviously knows what it's like to, to play at a home slam, being French. She obviously played the French Open a lot of times, and um, you know I think she was quite open in that she struggled a bit with the pressure, and I think that can that can also help you know someone that's been through those experiences um, themselves. She's she's won Wimbledon before herself, and it will be it'll be interesting. And when you come here, and you know that Wimbledon is now just a few weeks away, is it is it pretty exciting now? Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. It's a period of the year I always look forward to. And I'm not just saying this, but literally, like all of the players, when they come on the grass, everyone seems to be happy. Towards the end of the clay court season, everyone seems like quite tired and 
a bit down, um, you know, just mentally fatigued. But then when you see everyone on the grass, everyone's smiling, everyone's happy. You know, thankfully the sun's out uh, just now, and yeah, it's uh, it's a great great period of the year. I just wish it was a bit longer. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 